Hi, and welcome to another episode of Dawncast. I'm Di Lee. And I'm Kathy Ngo. And today we've got uh, the wonderful Michael Burge, OAM psychologist uh, in Melbourne uh, and uh, joining us. Uh, Michael is the current director of the Australian College of Trauma Treatment. Uh, so thanks for joining today, uh, joining us, uh, Michael. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm well, thank you. I'm uh, sort of locked up at the moment like everybody else. Uh, trying to stay healthy and, uh, you know, just still keeping involved very much in my in my profession and the, the world that's going on at the moment. Isn't social media wonderful? Isn't uh, technology great? I mean, this wouldn't be happening 20 years ago, but it uh, certainly is now. It's, it's wonderful we can all interconnect across the world this way. I'm delighted to, the, to have been invited today and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, making a contribution to your very, very interesting topic and how to help the community. Thank are you, you. Are you a lot more busier now? Because I like, I'm sure many people find the whole coronavirus situation very traumatic. So, because you are a psychologist, are you actually a lot busier now? Well, I'm not busy probably in giving advice in lots of ways. I guess um, I've sort of reached the uh, stage of my career where I have a, a set amount of consultations that are still keeping involved with their work, but uh, also because I'm involved in training and supervising and uh, involved in various uh, uh, professional associations, I'm, I'm sort of offering my opinion and getting involved and more that way. I think that tends to happen as you get a bit uh, beyond the age of uh, 50 or 60 and your senior phase of your career. So that's where I'm at the moment, but I'm you know, very much uh, involved in one way or the other. And uh, what, so yeah, what, are, what are you seeing? Uh, what are some of the topics that are coming through, uh, in, especially in the college where you are uh, uh, at the moment, what are some of the issues that are cropping up in regards to COVID nineteen? Well, I guess uh, I guess the uh, the big issue is uh, responding and adjusting to the circumstances that we are in on a whole range of levels. Right from the outset, when we first heard about just how lethal and how dangerous the virus can be, I think there's been different reactions from different people, from the government included in adjusting to the circumstances required. Perhaps uh, when you look at the social media, when you look at the reports, when I talk to my clients, when I talk to my colleagues, uh, everyone tends to think that perhaps we could have reacted a bit sooner. But then when you're facing a disaster like this, inevitably, any disaster, people tend to be, communities tend to go into some kind of denial. This can't be that bad. This can't be real. In a way, it's almost like an automatic coping mechanism that helps us cope with the the, uh, the things which are so difficult to cope with. We go into some kind of denial or defence, but unfortunately, that denial or defence um, can stop us from acting sooner rather than later. But uh, what's been happening is we have been reacting eventually, and uh, and there has been adjustment. But and I think most people in the community, in the, in the Australian community and the communities around the world have really tried to work together to do what they have to do according to the guidelines. Uh, not all are reacting that way. Some are still caught up in this denial or disbelief that things are as bad as they are. Now, I tend to think uh, from my professional and um, personal and family experience and the probably the thousands of different people I work with uh, in traumatic stress area, refugees, war veterans, Vietnam veterans, across the board, 
uh, disaster survivors, earthquakes, bushfires, you name it, they, they, there still tends to be this struggle to really keep their level of uh, survival mechanism going for the duration they need to go and move beyond that disbelief or denial. I think we're doing it pretty well, but uh, what's happened, though, in, I think in the Australian community and probably in the world community is that we've lost our connection to some extent with this particular type of disaster. Now, with the bushfire disasters, for example, people uh, this time around this year adjusted fairly quickly compared to, say, the Black Saturday disasters. Uh, likewise with some of the tsunamis that have been going on around the world and other types of trauma. But because there hasn't been a pandemic like this in Australia for since probably the Spanish flu and other versions of that, there's almost a, a lost history. And when you lose that history, unfortunately, you tend to go into denial and think things aren't as bad as they are, more so probably in Australia than other countries. Many of the uh, refugees and survivors of torture that I've worked with uh, uh, don't have that problem. They can adjust to these situations quite readily. The veterans can adjust quite quickly. The, the emergency services can adjust quite quickly. The police can, but the general communities sometimes really struggle. And we can understand why. When you feel like everything's safe, uh, you don't necessarily know what you have to do, when you have to do it. But it's so important right now. You, you talked about, um, you know, the bushfires, um, the recent bushfires, and of course now we've got now the COVID nineteen pandemic. Uh, both both are quite traumatic. Uh, one, I suppose, with the bushfires, you you actually can see you you can see the fires going up. You can see houses being burnt. Uh, but I think with the COVID nineteen, especially in Australia, we are not seeing the the lost of lives or loss of homes like we're seeing with the bushfires. Uh, how, what are, you know, uh, do, you, do you see people obviously reacting differently to responding to those two different kind of... Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there are different levels of traumatisation. Of course, those who um, are close to dying and in fact die uh, will obviously in the process of leading up to the death will be feeling quite traumatised, as will their family. Those that come close to dying or at risk of dying by getting the virus quite possibly will also suffer post-traumatic stress. The family members of those people also, the primary trauma survivor family are likely to be traumatised. But with the general community, you, know, you make that's a very valid point. For those that aren't directly affected, they are, they are less likely to be traumatised than those that are directly affected. By definition, that's what traumatic stress is all about. Those that are directly affected by a loss of life, loss of physical integrity, those that are witnesses to it, and those that are members of the family. And also, you could probably extend that, this is sort of a debatable point, to close members of the community of those that have been exposed to traumatic events. But those that are actually uh, a bit further away from it tend not to suffer from traumatic stress symptoms. Now, of course, there is a caveat on that. People that already have a traumatic stress condition, people that do suffer from types of anxiety or depression, uh, can actually uh, imagine the worst-case scenario for themselves and their family, and that can aggravate their mental health condition, unfortunately. So 
while it is true, unlike bushfires and earthquakes where there's perhaps thousands of people killed very quickly, um, most people wouldn't be, infect, be affected in these circumstances. There certainly are members of our community, one way or the other, that can be affected, can be traumatised, can have their mental health condition made worse. I probably should have asked this in the beginning, Michael, but what is trauma? Because people define trauma a little bit differently or likewise they might be experiencing it but they don't know. So how would you explain it? Well, I guess the, the, the fundamental definition of what is in a traumatic event is when a person is faced with, just to put it in a nutshell, a person is faced with a life-threatening circumstances, a threat to their own survival, or they are witness to somebody else's life being threatened and they see their life being threatened. Perhaps they're a witness to someone being hit by a car, someone being uh, burnt, uh, someone being shot. Even though they're not burnt, they're not shot. Just seeing that can traumatise them. In some ways, it just shows just how much humans are interconnected with each other. 90% uh, of the population is not immune to somebody else's suffering, which is, in a way, a positive thing, but it means that we can all be traumatised even though we're not directly affected if we are a witness. There is also another set of circumstances which is fairly new in the diagnosis with the DSM Diagnostic Manual for Mental Disorders, DSM-5, uh, that if you are a family member and even though you've not been directly affected and you haven't been at the scene, sometimes days or weeks later when you first hear about it, that can also qualify as a traumatic event and you can then be traumatises that family member, and later on you can then unfortunately uh, develop post-traumatic stress symptoms, nightmares, uh, flashbacks to when you got that news, uh, if you're an actual trauma survivor, flashbacks to the actual traumatic event, uh, going through the virus, going through the bushfire, you might suffer all, all kinds of emotional upset, emotional dysregulation, numbing, a type of depressive aspect, one of the worst things to suffer is dissociation, when you don't have any emotions and you feel disconnected from yourself. That's what leads most people who suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder to commit suicide, this dissociative aspect. It's very, very nasty. And we're still finding out more and more about that. Uh, so, so those so, sorts of things, those sorts of symptoms are all... So, so, uh, so, so, so are you saying, so, so when you're traumatised, um, it shows up in the symptoms that you that we describe as PTSD, post-traumatic dis stress disorder, and, and the post-traumatic stress disorders have various uh, symptoms? That's right. So you can have those sorts of symptoms, then they might go away after a few, a few weeks. But if they persist, then that qualifies for post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. Okay. So, so, okay. so basically, so, so when you traumatise, you then, okay, um, get a PTS, PTSD. How did you get into this work? Because you've been doing it for so, so long. And like, how do you, I guess... 30 after, years. Yeah, how do you look <laughs> after yourself when you are constantly dealing with people's stories, their trauma? Yeah. And like you were saying, like people have been victims of um, like terrible war crimes and refugees. Like, how? Like, I'm, I'm amazed. Like, I'm amazed. Yeah, well, I guess uh, I guess the main thing I think you're asking is how how does a practitioner cope when they're when they're uh, uh, listening to so many traumatized yes. people? That's right. Yeah. When you've been doing it for about twenty or thirty years, I suppose that's a very good question. Well, I guess the main thing is that 
one of the things that, that uh, is so great about being a psychologist is that we learn the importance of interconnectedness, about the humanity and how we remain connected with, with, with our family, our friends, and how we have colleagues to talk to. So, you know, if, if, if we uh, want to just be an isolate and don't talk to our colleagues about the various circumstances and various traumas people have been through too, you are in danger, actually, of becoming, having a traumatic, what's called secondary traumatisation. In fact, when I first started, I think I may have mentioned uh, um, today, Lee, initially uh, from our conversation a couple of weeks ago that I first got into this field back in the late 80s um, and uh, I was working as a veterans affairs psychologist for the Vietnam Veterans Counseling Service. They were fairly recently in 10 years returned from Vietnam. Um, and in fact, uh, we had a lot of supervisors and debriefers. Uh, there was a strong connection between the Vietnam veterans in Australia, Vietnam veterans counseling services in Australia and America. And a lot of the uh, psychologists were committing suicide. Oh. Uh, work that they were doing, trying to help the Vietnam veterans, you know, because they heard so many horrific stories, not in Australia, but more so in America. So. It's just so important. They really just realised it was just so important that for the psychologists and counsellors, clinical social workers, psychiatrists, uh, mental health nurses, all those um, that uh, were being involved uh, as frontline workers, if you like, in that way, so important that they needed to also have supervision and deep, be debriefing for their own uh, well-being and uh, their own health. So they learned from those early days that the, to have that interconnection either on a sort, of a, a sort of a structured clinical capacity or as an informal capacity. So um, that was a very, very important lesson. Um, yeah, and I practice that myself. You know, so I talk to colleagues when I need to talk to them about certain situations. You know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. some of the stuff you go into, as you can imagine, from the Vietnam War, for example, um, and bushfires, uh, you know, people find things, you know, in those sorts of operational services, in those events post-trauma, which are pretty horrific. And uh, when you're exposed to that information, it's a bit like being exposed to a traumatic event in itself. So it's like constantly, as a practitioner, it's like being constantly exposed to a traumatic event almost, in a way, secondhand. So you do need to remain interconnected. You do need to keep, um, uh, one and truly get, keep your uh, uh, humility in check, that basically you're doing the best you can. Um, and uh, no person is an island and no person is a superhero. Um, all you can do, all you are basically, keep your humility in check uh, and uh, reach out and talk to other people and uh, you're more likely to survive in this game, <laughs> in this work. Um, and some people don't survive, unfortunately. No. From your professional perspective, uh, what, what, how would you diagnose the the post the PTSD in in the current you know for people who are currently who might be traumatized with COVID nineteen uh, you know from the stories not not that they have witnessed anything but they would have probably feel traumatized by listening to all of the news that we currently hear about the danger of it what's your what do you think what do you suggest what can you gauge as as a professional psychologist this is this is quite an interesting area. It's, it's an area of new research uh, going on for a few years, but it's also uh, picking up speed. And I think it's a I think it's a great question uh, because there are some members of our community are showing signs of 
post-traumatic stress symptoms or certainly anxiety, certainly depression because of what they've seen on the news and uh, how that affects them. Of course, different people have different levels of resilience. Uh, some people, sort of ironically, for some people have not been exposed to many horrible events in their upbringing, not been through the rough, rough and tumble of the schoolyard, so to speak, or the, had a bit of bullying or had a bit of uh, harsh stuff from the parents occasionally, sometimes are more re more uh, resilient than those that had a perfect upbringing and not experienced any troubles whatsoever. But one way or the other, um, whether it's that or whether it's someone who's got a mental health condition already, already, uh, or those that are actually less resilient, there's signs. The signs are that are you is your are you is your sleep being affected? Are you starting to have nightmares? Nightmares? Are you starting to be worried and anxious about going outside of your house? Uh, you know, are you starting to experience higher levels of fear? Are you starting to feel depressed or a bit emotionally numb? Are you starting to argue with your um, partner or your friends, uh, the ones that you are speaking to um, on the telephone? Uh, are you starting to become more irritable? Are you starting to have anger outbursts? Are you starting to be overly emotional and a bit more hysterical and upset about things that you wouldn't have been otherwise prior to the coronavirus? These are all indicators. I think it's just so important for the members of the community to be mindful of this because the news can be so, if you like, seductive and draw people in. They can forget about what they are experiencing themselves psychologically and emotionally. I think that, that, need, that message needs to get out there more, not just look after yourself and just be mindful about how you're being affected about what are the symptoms like uh, symptoms of anxiety, what are the symptoms of depression, what are the symptoms of post-traumatic stress type reactions with it forms a formal diagnosis or not. And then they can be, they get those checklists can be used to self-monitor. And then they, if they do see themselves becoming more depressed, more anxious, having some, having some symptoms of post-traumatic stress, then that's a sign then to talk to somebody about that, either a friend, family member, but open up. Because ironically, in these situations too, especially with people in lockdown, uh, it really does test out individuals' capacity to rely on others. Some people, as you would have to agree, are very independent. Mm -hmm. They pride themselves <laughs> on self-reliance. They've really worked hard in their work life, their workplace, they've been successful. So when it comes to a situation like this, uh, when they don't have the control that they might not... A slight technical... <laughs> so important that... for those individuals to, to be mindful of that and not try and be too tough and, and reach out. It's time for us to all stick together in, in a situation. And uh, some individuals need to adjust their attitude about what it means to be just a fellow human being in these times. So all those factors are very important. Are you telling, are you at the college where you are a director, uh, are these kind of discussions taking place? Because obviously wouldn't you suggest that psychologists and practices where people are dealing with mental health are now also having to prepare themselves so that post-COVID-19, you'll probably be seeing cases absolutely. of PTSD. Indeed, absolutely. Within, the, uh, within the, uh, my collegial involvement with my, with my fellow psychologists at the college and, and other networks, absolutely, we're having those conversations. But also, uh, we're very much interconnected with the, uh, 
the uh, societies, the Australian Psychological Society. There's, there's almost sometimes there's two or three, me, three emails a day and you can join webinars and uh, there's other ways we can interconnect. So we are really uh, quite good at that right now. I think we're much greater than what we would have been, say, five or ten years ago. And I think the technology is, ha is, is really, really helping with that. So, yes, we are doing those sorts of things. So we, we generally we're trying to practice what we preach. Don't always succeed, but um, I think we're doing it at the moment. And, and what do you think, um, what sort of, um, what advice can you give the audience who are, you know, might, you know, will be tuning in, listening to this, in terms of h how they consume content? What do they need to be mindful um, for and about? Well, look, I think it's I think it's uh, it's a bit, a bit of a double bind in a way. It's uh, it's a bit of a difficulty each way. Uh, I think on the one hand, because of the survival instinct, because of the threat involved, even though most people are being affected, people naturally want to know what's going on to try and uh, prepare themselves to not be at risk. But at the same time, there can be if you like, an over-vigilance to that extent, that in their, in their attempts to defend themselves and defend their family while watching everything that's going on, too much, they can, be, they can make them overly susceptible to being traumatised or developing some other kind of, perhaps even non-clinical depression or anxiety. So they've really got to limit how much news they take in, try and limit it perhaps to an hour or so a day uh, at a time that suits them, and uh, make sure they really do start to tune into some good news stories. I think we need to have more good news stories out there. It's oh, very absolutely. difficult. If you look on the uh, yeah. TV, main TV channels, it's very difficult to find a good news story or a, something that makes you laugh. Uh, I think I may have mentioned that uh, I like watching a few programs like Seinfeld. And uh, Yes. <laughs> we, I've been tuning to a bit of Seinfeld lately. Uh, yeah. I, I yeah. It's a good laugh. <laughs> If, you if it's not on TV, get your DVDs going, get onto YouTube, get onto your Netflix or whatever. But look, spend more time than usual. Three, I would highly recommend spend three times more time, three more times than usual watching comedies and good news stories, uh, romantic stories, things that have a happy ending, not ones that leave you sort of frustrated and angry. So what, uh, script on it, what are the producers doing to us here? So really good news, happy stories. And that will help uh, offset uh, the, the other stories that we're facing, which aren't that good, unfortunately, at the moment around the world about the coronavirus. You know, oh, you go. Yeah, you go. I was going to say that's really good advice. Um, and then I actually forgot my question. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I think in terms of stories, talk, uh, Michael was just saying that um, to, to have more good news story, but I think the, the way that stories have been told over the centuries we have evolved uh, our storytelling is about finding the it's always about bad news somehow bad news draws uh well it makes money right yeah and and so i don't i think i wonder i've been wondering whether or not the COVID 19 will also shift the way we tell stories uh, i'm just you know i thought about it yeah, thinking well, I, I, I certainly hope so look you know i, I think i mentioned before i did, was in a media type work environment before I got into psychology. And I think that what they call it is the grab. <laughs> so that's the, the sort of thing that gets the audience in. Once you've got them going for a couple of minutes, then um, that sells the program, doesn't it, really? And yeah. so uh, 
But I think uh, there needs to be responsible uh, reporting around this aspect. So I think we need to actually do a lot more research and uh, be very have a lot more conversations, and, and we need to develop a different narrative about what's going to be helpful to the community. Uh, obviously, the public uh, broadcasting channels have a lot more scope to do this, perhaps than, than the commercial channels do. But certainly, I think there needs to be uh, a lot more uh, investigated about this. And this I, I agree that that needs to change, as, if, if possible. Um, do you expect a growth in people seeking help uh, for PTSD post COVID nineteen? Like, uh... yeah, yes, I do. After all this, so uh, and, and we should follow those patterns that we mentioned before. Those that have been directly affected, those that have, that have been, well, like for example, the frontline health workers. I mean, God bless them. I mean, they've just done such a wonderful job, and there's thousands of them all around the world. Uh, they are going to be traumatised. They'll be traumatised in the same way perhaps uh, a soldier or the uh, an ambulance or a police officer might be traumatised. They have to do the job and they have to do the job uh, for such an extended period of time and that's probably going to hit them down the track, maybe not next month or next year, but maybe, maybe the year after that. Uh, similar to some of the uh, CFA people that I've worked with, um, they CFA? were traumatised, but not two years later. No. What was CFA? So, yeah, sorry? Uh, you said... Fire uh, Authority, yep. Oh, CFA. okay. Uh, like the ambulance workers and the police and state emergency workers. Uh, so people are going to be affected down the track, and, of course, those that are actually not necessarily involved in terms of life threat, family or other, or as a frontline worker, there's going to be a certain percentage of the community, uh, a bit like 9-11, uh, that will be affected one way or the other. And I would expect many of those to uh, be uh, coming forward for help in the, in the next year or two. Okay. But the help is there. Well, I'm sure the government has to put aside more money than they currently have towards this whole health um the health of the nation, isn't it? But it w would also tap into workers' comp as well. So that's a insurers. Are <laughs> yeah. Well, I just got to, got to talk about good news, George. I'm hearing also from people too that you know how we're spending so much time under the roof at home at the moment. Yeah. And with family members, and I know there's been a great concern about um, domestic violence, and that definitely has to be considered. But also, on, on the other side of the things, I'm hearing people that actually have very, very busy lives and don't spend much time with families, probably especially people around, say, 40, 40 to 50, and they've got a family around the age of 10 to, to 15 or so. Or yep, that's me. <laughs> spending time <laughs> spending time with the family. You're frozen a bit there, Michael. I think there's been some technical problem on your side. I don't know if it's at our side. Oh. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, am, I, am I there at the moment? Yes, you're yeah. now moving Hello. into. Yes, I can. We can, we hear, can you. hear you. Mm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So there's a there's a out of the uh, there's a bit of silver lining out of all this. Uh, some people are having better relationships. So that's better relationships. I think that's yeah, that's good. Better relationships. Yeah, that's good. Okay. You're dropping yeah. off again. <laughs> I think yeah. I think it's telling us to wind down because you're dropping off. Did you say wine? Have a glass wine, of wine? Have a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. it is six something. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, thank you so much for joining us, Michael. It's my pleasure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we hope to, uh, you know, we'll, we'll follow up with you down the track as, as we come out of, of COVID-19 to hear of any, any studies that you and your uh, sector are doing and contributing to this uh, post-COVID-19 and helping people become healthier, you know, my, you know mentally uh, as well. Are you there? Any final yeah. words before we go? Oh, just the main thing is just just uh, focus on your strengths and focus on your relationship with others and uh, make sure you remain connected and remain um, uh, make sure you notice what you're going through personally. You can be so focused on the families the world Okay, you're dropping <laughs> off again <laughs> tonight. The your reception it says NBN there. You've got no NBN. <laughs> we got that here, yeah. But, oh, you uh, have. It's not always foolproof. <laughs> no, it's not foolproof. NBN then. COVID proof. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Michael. And um, how can we reach you? How can how can our listeners get in touch with you? Do you want our listeners oh. to get in touch with you? <laughs> I was just just on the Google. Michael Birch, psychologist. You'll find me pretty pretty uh, abundant on the front page there. So, all right, wonderful. Well, find everyone, me there, you know. Thank you, Michael. Well, everyone, that was Michael Birch, okay. a psychologist. And if you have a story to share, or you know someone that has a fantastic story, uh, get in touch with us so that we can get them on Dawncast. And my name is Kathy Ngo. and I'm Di Lee. Make right. sure. You subscribe. subscribe and click on the red link below and subscribe to Dawncast to grow, uh, to help us grow and deliver more content like this to you. So see you next time. Yep. See you. Bye. Bye.